Amen. You may be seated. invite you to open with me now in God's Word to the book of Revelation, once again, Revelation chapter 6, and verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. When we began our series on Revelation... I mentioned that Revelation is structured uh, in a series of seven different cycles, and within each one of those cycles, we are brought, as it were, from the first coming to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Well, the second of those cycles within Revelation is uh, from Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 7. And so we have been uh, most recently in the opening of these seven seals. Uh, For instance, earlier in Revelation chapter 6, when we saw the opening of the first four of those seals and the revelation of the purposes and plans of God, that each of those horsemen represented uh, different realities, different uh, terrible, as it were, realities of life in this present age. Then, as last week we opened the fifth seal, we saw there the cry of the martyrs who are being persecuted for the faith in this present age. But now, with the opening of the sixth seal, we are going to have revealed for us a grand event that brings us, as it were, on the cusp of the second coming of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, This reveals for us the day of judgment that comes with his uh, return. And so with that in mind, let's now read from God's word this opening of the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 6, and verses 12 through 17. Well, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit When shaken by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? This ends this reading uh, in God's holy word. Let's look once again to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ has been given to us as a Savior of sinners. And we thank you that he saves us from the wrath to come. 
And O Lord, our God, we pray that we would now look unto this Lord Jesus. And as we, as we catch a glimpse, a vision, as it were, out of this passage in Revelation 6 of this coming judgment day, Lord, might we, might we today be convinced of its reality and learn the lessons that you have laid up for us in your word and come to love and adore the Lord Jesus, who is the Savior and our Savior with all of our hearts. Oh, bless this word now to our hearts good, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, well, the theologian uh, Richard Niebuhr once described uh, the effects of what we might call liberal or progressive Christianity, that is, a kind of Christianity that had strayed from biblical teaching. And he summarized the teaching of progressive Christianity in these words. He said that they teach that a God without wrath has brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment, through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And those words which Niebuhr spoke, I think probably about 75 years ago or so, uh, continue to be true in our own day and age, that wherever uh, the teaching of the Bible is obscured and the teaching of the spirit of this age is adopted, what comes with that? Well, there is no longer any emphasis on sin, but rather on the goodness of man. There's not an emphasis on the wrath of God, but rather there's an emphasis on simply tolerance and love for all. There's no longer an emphasis on the fact that our lives need to conform to the standard of the God who has made us. But rather the vision is, well, everybody can live as they like pursue their own dreams and goals and that kind of thing. Always the first emphasis, wherever the Bible is strayed from, is this, is that no longer is subjects like, are subjects like sin and wrath mentioned any longer. A God without wrath has brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ uh, without a cross. But that message is so different from the message which the scriptures give to us. In both Old Testament and in, New, in, in the New Testament, the Old Testament says, If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or in the New Testament, we uh, are uh, told that uh, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That is, should not perish in their sins and under the judgment of God, but rather have everlasting life. In order to understand the gospel properly, we need to understand this reality of the wrath of God for our sin. And it is that emphasis which Revelation brings before our eyes time and time again. So I want us to consider this uh, vision that we have, this opening of the sixth seal, which reveals the judgment of God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to see it under two different headings. Uh, first of all, we're going to see a destroyed universe and secondly, a terrified humanity. And under each one of those things, we're going to make uh, several applications. A destroyed universe 
and then it terrified humanity. First of all, it destroyed universe, and we see this in verses 12 through 14. Uh, when the sixth seal is now opened, again, we have already had the opening of five other seals. Seals which revealed a variety of horsemen that are at work through this present age. A horsemen who are at work in the reigning of emperors, in the bringing of war, and the coming of, of poverty and of hunger, and uh, as well in the reality of death. We saw as well in the opening of the fifth seal, the reality of the persecution of Christians and the trials and struggles that they go through in this world. But now with the opening of the sixth seal, there is a glorious vision that is brought before the eyes of the Apostle John. And it is a vision of a coming cataclysmic upheaval, cosmic upheaval uh, in this universe. Uh, the descriptive words are vivid. And we're going to go through uh, each one of these. These cosmic activities here are rooted, as it were, in various Old Testament descriptions of God's judgment. The first thing that we're told there is, Behold, I looked, and first of all, there was a great earthquake. Now, this phenomenon of an earthquake in the Old Testament frequently represented the powerful presence of God. And so in Exodus 19 and verse 18, an earthquake depicted God's arrival on Mount Sinai. Or in Nahum 1.5, an earthquake represented the conquest of Nineveh. Or in the prophet Haggai, as Haggai looks to a coming day of judgment, it too speaks of uh, an earthquake. Hebrew, or Haggai 2, verses 6 and 7, there the Lord says, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. It's going to be the one who shakes all nations. And here we are told that there is coming a day in which there is going to be this great earthquake, the shaking, as it were, of this whole creation. But then the second phenomenon is this, that the sun then becomes black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. The darkening of the sun and a full moon becoming uh, red. Uh, the blackest sackcloth there represents mourning and humiliation. And that red moon, of course, signifies simply divine judgment. And again, you can think of the Old Testament uh, when the plagues were brought upon uh, the people of Egypt. One of those plagues, and it was a terrible one, was the plague of darkness. I mean, can you imagine going out uh, into absolute, complete, utter darkness, where there's not even any lights, not even the light of the moon or of the stars of, above, where you can't even see your hand this close in front of your face? It's an awful, uh, it's an awful thought, and yet that's frequently what the Old Testament depicts when it comes to judgment. And so Joel 2 and verse 31 uses the same language, speaking of uh, God's uh, mighty work. He says there that the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the darkening of the sun and of the moon. Well, the third uh, thing that we, that's mentioned here is 
The stars of the sky falling to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Again, you think of a, of a windy day. Okay, fig trees, common in the Middle East. You could think of other kind of trees in our day. A windy, a really windy day. 40, 50, 60 mile an hour winds. Or even perhaps hurricane force winds. And the kind of uh, destruction that those can uh, bring as, as leaves fall down and other things. Well, it's saying, now picture that. Uh, strong winds, strong gale, and a fig tree. Now picture that of the stars of heaven. Okay, the idea is that of shooting stars or meteors falling everywhere uh, from the sky. Uh, The book of Isaiah depicts this as well as a description of uh, the coming day of judgment. Isaiah chapter 34 and verse uh, 4. Isaiah 34 and verse 4 says this same language. Uh, There it says that all the host of heaven on this day shall rot away and the sky shall roll up like a scroll and all their host shall fall as leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree. Well, the fourth feature that we're told here is the sky vanishing like a scroll that is being rolled up. And again, that reflects the language that we just read in Isaiah 34 and verse 4, that the sky shall roll up like a scroll. And whether this is the sky as it were splitting in the middle with each side rolling up, or the sky as it were from one horizon to the other rolling away like a scroll, the picture is again of the, of the vast sky that is above us and how vast it is of it nonetheless dissolving and going away, rolled up from one end uh, to the other, vanishing. What a picture this is. And then we are told, finally, the last feature here is that of every mountain and island being removed from its place. If you could ever think of those things which are permanent and lasting, is it not the mountains? If you think of the islands of the sea, And here it's saying that these permanent, lasting features of this present creation, they themselves are going to be removed from their place. A mountain, as it were, that is going to come crashing down. Or a sea that's going to be enveloped in water. These aspects of creation being taken away. What a cataclysmic picture uh, this is. In this picture here, obviously the symbolism of the Old Testament is being used, but it's symbolism which points to the kind of cosmic upheaval that is going to occur at the return of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now some people say, well, these are just symbols. Revelation is full of symbols. And it might be that this is not necessarily an actual literal certainly not scientific kind of description of what is going to happen on that final day of Christ's return. But friends, even if there are symbols that are being used here, symbols always are used to point to a reality that is even greater than itself. We don't say, oh, that's merely symbolic, so we don't need to worry about it. We say, oh, this is merely sim- this is symbolic because words, as it were, cannot capture or fully apprehend the reality of what is going to happen on that day. It's as if saying, The the kind of upheaval of this present universe is going to be so great that our words cannot begin to capture 
what is going to take place. And so uh, this language is used, again, of the sky rolling up and of islands and seas being removed and stars falling upon the earth to say that this present world as we know it is going to be no more. What a picture this is. It is a coming day of judgment. Jesus speaks very similar words in his own Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 29 through uh, 32. I find it similar in both Mark and Luke's gospel as well. But Matthew 24 verses 29 through 32 say this, that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you see the picture? It's the same imagery that's used of the, as it were, the upheaval of all of creation at the return of our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This, dear friends, is the answer to the martyr's cry that we looked at last week. How long, O Lord, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Well, they were resting until this day, this final day of God's judgment. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10 uses very similar uh, language to describe uh, this day when it says there, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is a very solemn teaching here, friends. The teaching is this. It is that this fallen world that is corrupt, because of Adam's fall and the continued sinfulness of all of humanity, that this fallen world is not going to remain forever, but will be dissolved so that a new age of glory and a renewed cosmos will take its place at Christ's return. That this present fallen world will not remain forever, but that at the day of Christ's return, there is going to be, as it were, a giant cataclysm that he might usher in that renewed creation of a new heavens and a new earth. And what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, is this, is that this dissolution of this present world ought to govern in your life and in my life the way that we relate to it. This world is not ultimate. It's not the main thing. This world is temporary. Is this not what Jesus was teaching us when he told us, don't seek those treasures that are on earth that moth and rust destroy and that thieves break in and steal. Rather, seek those treasures which are in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. There is a kind of treasure that cannot be taken from you, but all that pertains only to this life will indeed be taken. Or 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. The things that are seen, 
the Apostle Paul says, are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Or Colossians 3 and verse 1, If you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at God's uh, right hand. It's a call for you and me to be heavenly minded. To look for the world to come. Now, does this mean that we should have nothing at all to do with life in this world? Not at all. Not at all. Again, the Lord reigns and rules even now as king. And he's building his kingdom in the midst of this present world. It is true. And you and I, as Christians, can enjoy even God's good gifts to us in this present world. You can enjoy a nice meal. You can enjoy athletics. Okay? You can enjoy the work that you're in Involved with. You can enjoy some of the possessions. If you go on vacation this summer, you can enjoy that vacation. But as you enjoy the things of this world, we don't enjoy them as the things that are ultimate, but rather we look chiefly to the giver of those gifts. Many of the gifts that we receive in this life are temporary. The giver yet remains. And so we do so loving and serving the Lord Jesus above all else. And so it is a call to you to not make idols of this present world because soon it's going to be gone. Think about that. The greatest empires that are built, the greatest products that are created, the newest technologies, all of that someday, dear friends, is with the rest of this present creation going to be gone. And only those things which pertain to Christ yet remain. What a, what a vision this is. What, what a picture this is. And how this ought to, to frame the way that we think. You see, one of the evil one's primary ways of tempting us is to make us think that this world is ultimate. And friends, you and I need to remember that there is, uh, that there is a coming judgment And that there is a world to come which is ultimate. And so give yourself chiefly to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the realities of his kingdom. What are the things that ought most to stir your heart? Well, it's to come to know Jesus more. It's to read his word. It's to labor on behalf of his church and of his kingdom. It's to pray for the spread of the gospel. It's to long to see sinners come to Jesus Christ. And I ask, are these the things which chiefly move you? Are these the things which inspire you above all else? Is this what you are living your life for? Might we give ourselves for those things which last? Because the scriptures say that at the return of Christ, there is going to be an upheaval of all that there is in this present creation. Okay, this this present universe uh, destroyed. Well, let's now look at our second main point today. The second description that we have now is that of a terrified humanity. A terrified humanity, beginning in verse 15. Uh, Here we are given the people's response. And you'll notice that God's judgment is not, first of all, against this creation, but it is chiefly against sinful humanity. As it were, it's the people here that are brought into focus who are facing the wrath 
of God. And uh, the scene that we're descri- that, that's described here is, is a scene of kind of pandemonium. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, if, if you were in a place where there was a sudden bomb threat, or somebody calls out, there's a fire, or uh, there's suddenly a shooting. What happens in that place? There's pandemonium, isn't there? Everybody's scattered every way. They're scared to death of what's about to happen. And here, that's the picture that we're given here, but but taken to a much greater scale as, as it were, as all of creation around them is crumbling. The people are crying out, what shall I do? It's the judgment of God that has come upon them. And in particular, we're told three things about this coming judgment and the people's response. And the first is this, is that it is a universal judgment. It's a universal judgment. Look at the the descriptions of the people. We're described there that it's the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful. Let's just stop there for a moment. You'll notice that the description begins with those who have the most possessions and most power in this life. The kings, that is the political rulers, the the great ones, that is their counselors, the generals, that is the military leaders who conquer through might, the rich, those who have lots of this world's possessions and money, the powerful, that is those who can govern and control others. Uh, in, in this life, these are the things which are, are seen to bring security. Right? We, we say about kind of the really wealthy out there that they live a life that you and I know nothing about. Right? They seem to live a life above some of the troubles and difficulties. Of, of this world. Now, that's not entirely true. Same things which afflict you and me afflict them as well. But the point is here is that everything which people look for secure, everything uh, to which people look for security themselves will not help at all on that day. That even the great ones and the rich and the powerful are going to be brought under this judgment. But it's not just them. It's also common people as well. Notice that in verse 15. It's also everyone, it says, slave and free. So it's not just a judgment against the rich and the powerful, but it's a judgment against them and it's a judgment against everyone who has lived in rebellion against the living God. All sinners It's universal. No one is going to be able to escape. Verse 17 says, The great day of their wrath has come. And who? Who? And the the answer is, no one can stand. There's not any amount of earthly riches or skills or achievements which shield people from this coming day of wrath. It's that which is universal. The second feature of it is that it is inescapable. You notice that they are trying to flee. They're trying to look elsewhere to flee this coming day of of wrath. The kings, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful. And they're finally doing the only thing which they know to do. They're hiding themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They're, They're going to the most remote locations and saying, well, maybe here I can have some kind of safety. 
If I can't have safety in my bank account or in my empire or in my political power or in my achievements or any other thing, perhaps I can find some place where I can avoid this judgment of Almighty God. But the picture here is even that doesn't provide a place of safety. The very mountains in which they are trying to hide are the mountains which are being removed from their places. So they're calling even to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the face of Almighty God. Do you know that on that coming day of judgment, there is no place of safety except one, as we're soon going to see, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other place of safety. People today laugh about a coming day of judgment or they joke about it. But it's a reality. It's an inescapable reality uh, that will come upon uh, this world. That great day of the wrath has come. Who? And the answer is that nobody can stand. So it's a day of universal judgment, of inescapable judgment. But then the third thing is that it's a day of personal judgment. Personal judgment. They're calling to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us. Why? Why would they rather have a mountain fall on them? It is to hide them, they say, from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you see when it describes the judgment of God that comes upon sinners? It is the personal judgment of the living God that is brought. It is the face of the one who sits on the throne. The one who reigns in sovereign power and authority. The one who created us and gives us life and breath. This is the one with whom we have to do. And it's saying that every sinner, as it it were, will face wrath from his face. They will look, as it were, into the face of their maker. And experience the just judgment for their sin. But it's not only the face of this one who is seated on the throne, but it's also from the wrath of the Lamb. And this picture is the Lord Jesus Christ who is appearing now in judgment. We read elsewhere in Scripture that the Lord has uh, given this judgment to the Son, that He has judged the world by this one whom He has appointed. And on that day of judgment, it is going to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who appears. That same lamb who is slain is now the lamb who is on the throne of the universe. And this Lord Jesus, when he comes back, is going to serve as the judge of all the earth. And his righteous wrath will come upon sinners. It's a just and a righteous judgment. And it comes upon every single person because all are rebels and sinners in the sight of God. And there is only one way of of escape that we will soon get to. But it's important that we have this pressed upon us, dear friends, that the judgment of God is not that which only comes upon the people who have done really bad things. Okay, the Hitlers of this world and that kind of thing but rather it comes upon all who have committed any violation of his holy law, who do not have the holy character of their God, who have looked to idols for satisfaction, who have 
uh, who have uh, lusted in their hearts, who have coveted things which don't belong to them, who have been uh, disobedient, who have, who have uh, 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 not upheld truth in their lives and told lies and practiced deceit and who have not honored their mothers and their fathers. It comes upon those who have not honored God's holy day as they ought It comes upon those who have not revered the holy name of God. It comes upon all humanity who are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a just and righteous judgment. The Bible never gives any idea at all, not for a moment, that the judgment which God brings is that which is uh, unjust or unrighteous or uncalled for or unfair. On that final day, our mouths are going to be stopped before the righteous wrath of this God. Oh, friends, it is a wrath which is indeed universal and inescapable and personal. And let me just make this application for a moment, friends, that how deeply this picture of final judgment and of the wrath of God should impact each one of us. You ought to, as it were, live with this picture of this final judgment day. This is coming. It's reality. And no matter how much the world around us, through mockery and through ignorance, tries to deny the reality of this coming day of judgment, it is coming. And this, a message like this stands as a warning to each one of us that you need to flee this wrath to come. You need to be sure that you are going to be safe on this day of judgment. It is a warning call that goes out to us. Will you be saved from this day of judgment? Should you be scared of the coming day of judgment? And the answer is, if you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be absolutely terrified. You should be scared. And might being scared of this coming judgment cause you to flee to the Savior of sinners? the Lord Jesus Christ. Might you cry out with that Philippian jailer, what shall I do to be saved? Is that the the earnest longing of your heart? You see, this is the Bible's message, friends. It is of a wrath of God, a just wrath of God against sinners and the way of salvation from this uh, wrath. For those of you that are believers in Christ, this scene of coming judgment ought to provide a kind of urgency, an urgency to your evangelism, an urgency to the work of missions. How shall they call upon him whom they have not heard? It should provide an urgency to our witness in the world. It should provide an urgency to our prayers. Lord, would you not save more people Would you not be merciful, O Lord our God? You see, we ought to to live, as it were, with the reality of this judgment day upon us. Is that the case with you? I think for some of us, and again here I speak of myself even, I think sometimes, when I first became a Christian, the reality of this judgment day was stark and it was real in my mind. Oh, that the Lord would save me from this coming day of wrath. And oh, that others are under this wrath of God. Oh, that they might be saved. And there was, there was an urgency about it. But then what happens? Sometimes over time, maybe a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years, 
uh, passes and you just kind of fall into certain routines and you think less of it. Might that not be, oh friends, might this be a wake-up call that we would encourage others to flee from this wrath to come. And so this means as part of our evangelism, we need to speak of sin and of wrath. It's not the only thing that we speak of. We run quickly to the glory and grace of Jesus Christ, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But friends, Jesus Christ only appears as supremely glorious against this backdrop of the righteous wrath of God against sinners. And what's going to make people flee to Jesus but this, a sense of their own sin. The Puritans used to like to call it as the law work of God, in which people would even be brought under a period of conviction of sin, sometimes for a season of time before they would see the glory of Jesus and flee to him. And friends, this law work needs to continue to be a part of our evangelism. Tell others of the supreme supremacy of the Creator God, of His just demands, and of a coming day of wrath. How deeply this picture of final judgment and of the wrath to come should impact us. But now, secondly, in terms of application, and lastly, I want to say this. It is this, that this view of the day of judgment should make us eternally grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you and I see that this is the wrath that we deserve, you deserve to be among those kings and those great ones and the generals and everyone slave and free who on that final day are going to be begging the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of God. You deserve to be among them. That's what your sins deserve. And if you were left on your own, you would, without any thought of God or of Christ or of the cross, be headed straight to an eternity of judgment under the wrath of Almighty God. And the only reason, if you are a Christian today, that that is not the case is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. And what was it that he did? He came and he, as we sang earlier, bore the wrath of God in our place. This judgment, this judgment that you and I deserve was laid upon him. How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away and wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Friends, when we gain a vision of this wrath to come, oh, how glorious this Savior of sinners then appears. The one who bore the wrath that I deserve in my place. So that this coming day of judgment that we described 
Will not for you and for me be a day of cataclysmic horrors, but it's going to be a day of the glorious appearing of our Savior. Do you know that that's how for the Christian the Bible describes the return of Jesus? It's a day that we long for. Is there a place of safety amidst the islands and the mountains being removed from their place and the stars falling to this earth? Is there a place of safety? And the answer is, yes, there is. And it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you belong to Jesus, the Lord will keep you secure and safe on that final day of judgment. And you need not fear that day of coming wrath. Rather, when the Lord Jesus, when that lamb appears in judgment and wrath upon the unbelieving world, we're going to look in his face and see our Savior and be with him forever. What a glorious thing this is. Oh, friends, do you see this is why you need to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ if you aren't a Christian today? This lamb is the one who was slain for us, the only way of escape from a day of judgment. Do you believe upon him? It's through simple trust in this crucified Messiah that men and women and boys and girls are saved from the wrath to come. It's by believing in him who has died for us. Do you believe in him? And if you have believed in him, remember this day of wrath so that the Lord Jesus might become exceeding precious to you. Might he be precious to each one of us. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, how we thank you for this clear picture that you have given us in your holy word of this coming day of judgment, day of wonders. Lord, we pray that we would be those who look to Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and look to him now, for today is the day of salvation. That day will be too late. Lord, we do pray for any who are under the sound of the gospel today in this place, and you know who they are, Lord, who are not trusting in Jesus Christ, but have placed their hopes and their dreams and the things of this world. And they are under your wrath. Lord, would you in mercy save them and enable, Lord, and, ca- and, and, and cause that this day even for them might be the day of salvation in which they look with fullness of faith to the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Lord, do this, we pray. Thank you for such a glorious Savior. And Lord, cause those of us who do know the Lord Jesus to remember this day of wrath, this coming day of judgment, to be especially grateful for our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has saved us from the wrath to come. We pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing together now in response our hymn.